Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Before we uh, get into the message this morning, I want to share with you a couple of things just uh, as a matter of prayer and, and encouragement that uh, you need to know. First of all, uh, Phil, it's good to see you back there, brother. We're praying for you. Uh, y'all, most of y'all know that Phil's wife passed away uh, last week, and, and uh, uh, we celebrated her life in the funeral. But man, I'm glad that you're here today, man. We are praying for you and lifting you up. Um, another friend of uh, Gil and um, myself, a pastor friend of ours from Utica Baptist Church, uh, Rocky Enriquez. Uh, Rocky's been at Utica for several years, been around the Jackson area for a long time. Pastor down at Hillcrest Baptist Church in South Jackson before they moved down to Byram. Y'all may remember when Hillcrest was literally up on the hill there in South Jackson and Rocky pastored there for a long time. Anyway, his wife battled cancer for a long, long, long time. A difficult, difficult journey. And she passed away yesterday. And uh, so I ask you to pray for for Rocky and for that church family. I mean, you think about it, that church family is going through this now with him. And uh, so they will need uh, our prayers and support and encouragement, just as Phil does and other people. Uh, Pat Perry's sister passed away uh, Friday morning, and uh, so we um, need to be in prayer for uh, for them. And uh, so lots and lots of needs in our church family and our community right now, as there always are. But just want to make you aware of some of those and ask you to be in prayer uh, as we think about those people. And, and along those lines, I want to ask you this question just to begin the message how do you prepare for those moments? How do you prepare for those times when life crashes in on you, when when life just starts to crumble and then just finally caves in on top of you? How do you prepare for that? You think about it, how do you prepare for for the for freakishly strong, rare December tornadoes that tear through your town and your community and change the landscape of your life, not just the landscape of the community, but change the landscape of your life. Uh, you think about all the people that, that have been affected by the tornadoes last week in Kentucky and Arkansas and the places in, uh, that, that those tornadoes went through. Mark Sanderfer went up uh, to, to Mayfield, Kentucky, that town that was devastated. Uh, Mark went up Thursday and got back yesterday and was able to help some people, minister to some people, uh, share Christ with some folks there, and and kind of get a a, a literal uh, firsthand look at the the situation there with the possibility of maybe our church connecting there to go back and do some additional work there in Mayfield. But how do you how do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for those times when sickness and disease uh, invades your life and just lingers on and on and on and on? How do you prepare for that? How do you prepare? For job loss or financial crisis, when you think everything's fine, everything's safe and secure, and then all of a sudden the, the safety net's yanked out from under you, and, and how, do you, how do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for, th- think about this, how do you prepare for someone, someone else's sin and immorality that inf- impacts your life, your family, someone else's sin, someone else's immorality that touches your life, your family, how do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for, for an accident on the highway or an accident at the hunting camp or an accident at work or even at home that brings your life to a screeching halt? How do you prepare when death comes? And it will. How do you prepare for these things? You know, if you don't know Christ and 
And I pray that you do. But if you don't know Jesus, this you, the only way you can prepare and respond to those times is with your own limited resources, with your ability, with your connections. And those things may get you through short term, give you some temporary relief from the pain that you're feeling or the trouble that you're going through or the tight spot that you've gotten yourself into. But I'm telling you, eventually you'll find out that those resources will run out and they're futile when you depend on yourself. And that if you don't know Christ, that's all you got to depend on. But if you know Jesus, and I pray that you do, then the way that we respond to all of these things and the way that we prepare and respond is by the faith that we have in that baby that was born in Bethlehem and the fact that Jesus is here. And that's how you prepare, knowing that Jesus is here, knowing that he's going to be the one that's going to take care of you, knowing that he will be the one that will, will take you through. And the truth of the matter is, is that no matter what we're facing now or no matter what we will face in the future, we will be okay. We will be okay. Now listen, we will suffer. We'll go through some hard times. We will be in pain, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, mental. We will go through hard times. We will be confused. God, why are you letting this happen? God, why is this happening to me? God, what's going on here? God, where are you? I think about David and the Psalms and how the psalmist just would cry out to God. Sometimes we're going to be confused. Sometimes we're going to be in despair. Sometimes we're even going to be angry. Yet I'm telling you, when you know Jesus, and because Jesus is here, we will be okay. Amen? We will be okay. And that's what we stand on. Think about what Isaac Watts wrote in 1719 when he wrote that great Christmas carol that we've sung, and we'll probably sing it again, and you'll hear it again sometime this week. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And that third verse of that carol where Isaac Watts wrote, no, no more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He, Jesus, comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now what does that mean? Why did Isaac Watts write that? He means that we're still going to have to deal with the sins and the sorrows and the fact that the thorns sometimes are going to jab into our lives. But Jesus has come and he is here to bring his blessings into those times in our lives when we're struggling, when we're in difficulty, when we're having a hard time. We will we'll still know that Jesus is here even when those hard times. There's a pastor in Kentucky who just this past week, he wrote this just this past week. I read, uh, uh, I guess it was a blog uh, that he had written just this past week as he had a literal brush with death. He survived, obviously. A lot of people didn't. And so he wrote this. How do you respond? What do you do? And this is his perspective, a perspective from a guy who was uh, facing death square on. And he said this. Let us not forget that the babe in the manger was the king on the cross. Amen? The babe in the manger was the king on the cross. He went on to say, Let us not forget that the one, that the one born in a barn and raised by sinners was also buried in a cave yet raised to life. 
And he said, let us not forget that we are not serving a life committed to a dead man in the ground, but we find hope in the promises of a resurrected Savior who is alive and sitting at the right hand of God. That's our Savior. He is here. And we celebrate him today. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, if you don't have a, your own copy of God's Word, you can grab a pew Bible and turn to page 807 so that you can look at Scripture today. The reading of Scripture in public worship is so, so important. So Matthew chapter 1, we're just going to look at one, I'm just going to read one verse, but then we're going to look at several other verses. But one verse for us to read right now. As we stand together, let's, let's read Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah when he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. May God bless the reading of his perfect word this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us today, Father, to hear from you, to respond in obedience to you, God. Holy Spirit, you teach us, you show us truth, you reveal truth to us today, and then give us the power and the strength and the ability to obey you as you lead us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew was writing to Jewish audience. And so that's why in the first part of Matthew chapter 1, you see the genealogy of Jesus. You see the, hey guys, y'all listen up. Y'all listen up. Hey guys, y'all listen up. Have a seat right there. Have a seat right there. There we go. So you see this genealogy of Jesus. And the reason that Matthew wrote that genealogy of Jesus is because he wrote to a Jewish audience. And he wanted the Jewish people to understand that Jesus was their Messiah. That the king, the Jewish king, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus had come. He wanted them to understand that. So that's why he gave this long genealogy. We'll look at it in just a minute. It's, it's, kind of, you know, it's one of those things that you don't hear a whole lot of guys preaching from it, but we're going to take a look at it here in just a minute. But the reason he gave that detailed genealogy is one of the people to understand, your Messiah has come. Sixty times in his gospel, Matthew uh, quoted Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and then showed how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. And we just saw one, we just read one. Matthew one twenty three is straight out of the gospel, uh, right, straight out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Give birth to a child, you can call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so that's right out, of, that's an Old Testament prophecy. And so you see these things, and Matthew's saying, Look, to the Jewish people, your Messiah has come. Your Messiah has come. It's so wonderful for us to see that. It's so wonderful for us to know that the Messiah has come. And Matthew's trying to help people understand that. And so over and over again, we see in the Gospel of Matthew, we see him saying, you need to understand this is who Jesus is. You need to understand this is who Jesus is. So the application for this message is this. Jesus is here, and that means that he's going to be with us always. He's here, and that means that he will be with us always. Now, so I, I, want, you, I want you to think about this with me. I want you to think about something with me. I want you to think about something with me. We are called to reach every person in this town. We're called to reach every person in this town. 
And sometimes that will cause us to be a little bit inconvenienced and cause us to be a little bit moved out of our comfort zones. But Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's not in the sermon, but I think we thought we needed to be reminded of that. So what are the implications for the fact that Jesus is here? First of all, Jesus is here no matter what our family, in this instance, no matter what our family situation is. No matter what our family situation is, Jesus is here. He is here for you. He came. He is with us no matter what our family situation is. This is where we go back to those first 16 verses in Matthew chapter 1. Flip back over there and take a look at that. Now, I am not, <laughs> for a number of reasons, not going to read <laughs> all of those verses. Uh, number one, I'd probably not be able to pronounce all the names. And so if you're okay with that, well, I won't read all of them. But uh, I want you to think about that. You, don't, you know, you don't hear many preachers preaching Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through, or 1 through 16 during Christmas sermons. We do Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that it went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And everyone went to his own city to be taxed. And, and, and so we love that. Or we get over to Matthew chapter, later on in Matthew 1. Matthew 2 talks about Herod, the wise men, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and all of those things. And, and rightfully so, we should preach all of those things. We should think, think about all of those things, all of it. But what about this, what about this, that, that God in his sovereignty and being led by the Spirit, told Matthew, write down all of these names from the Old Testament. And if you got the good old King James, it says, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so I remember when I was a little kid, we read, what does begat mean? Now, you know, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. I want you to think about this with me. What is this all about? And you think about this. I mean, this is, this is the genealogy. Look at verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Man, this, this must be a Hall of Fame listing of names. Well, my friend Don Wilton, who's the pastor of First Baptist Church Spartanburg, preached on this passage, and he said, it's not a Hall of Fame, it's a Hall of Shame. Why? Well, think about Abraham. Right off the bat there, verse 2, you see the name Abraham. Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons. You remember seeing that as a little kid? And sure, Father, he was, you know, uh, uh, God had given him the promise. You know, out of you, your descendants will be as as uh, numerous as the uh, sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. You know, and so God had given him this promise. In his old age, he gave him this promise. But you go over to Matthew chapter, I mean, Genesis chapter 16, and you see where his wife Sarah got, you know, she was advanced in years as well, and biologically speaking, she didn't see how this was going to happen, that she was going to have any kids and do what God said was going to be done. So she went to Abraham and said, look, this is not going to happen between you and me. Why don't you take my servant girl here, Hagar, and go, go with her. Go take her. See if you can have a child with her. So Abraham stepped out of his marriage relationship and went and had an illicit relationship with Hagar, a servant girl, and had a child. And he's in the genealogy of Jesus. What about Tamar? You see that name there in verse 3, Tamar, 
What do we know about Tamar? You go to Genesis 38, you know what you find out about Tamar? You don't know anything good about Tamar. There's nothing redeeming in her life. There is no redeeming quality in her life. No redeeming virtue attributed to her in Genesis chapter 38. You know what is attributed to her? Deception, incest, prostitution. And she's in the genealogy of Jesus. If, if you went to Genesis 38 over here in my Bible, you would have, I, I wrote these words, Genesis 38. These words are right there. If I get to it, it says, the ugliness of sin is written in the margin of my Bible right there. When it comes to Tamar, that's all you see. And yet she's in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar, Rahab, what do you know about Rahab? What was her job? prostitute, harlot, and she's in the genealogy of Jesus. She's in the family line of Jesus. You drop down to verse 5 and you see the name Ruth. Now, wait a minute, John, don't pick on Ruth. We, you know, Ruth and Boaz, I mean, that's a that's such a beautiful story, man. And mine and Vicky's wedding ceremony 36 and a half years ago, we stood in front of her daddy and we repeated Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, and some of y'all did too. Whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Now, when Vicky repeated after her daddy, she got a little tongue tangled, and she said, and my God, my God. So I don't know if she was looking at me when she said that. Maybe she was. I don't know. But uh, she, but, uh, but so we see that, you know, we know that about Ruth, but let me, you, let me, what do you know? You know, let me tell you what you may not remember about Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Well, what difference does that make, John? Well, let me tell you how the Moabite people came about. You go to Genesis chapter uh, chapter 19, and the Moabite people came about as a result of an, a drunken, incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters in a cave. John, is that really in the Bible? <laughs> yeah. She was a Moabite in the family line of Jesus. You see another name that you know really well, David. Verse 6, you see David's name. Man after God's own heart. Man after God's own heart. Anointed king. Greatest, possibly the greatest king they, the Jews ever had. Greatest warrior king they ever had. But what do you know most about David? Adulterer, murderer. Liar, Bathsheba, child dying, husband killed, lying about it, trying to get away with it. In the family line of Jesus. Solomon, David's son. What do you know about him? Man of wisdom. Started off great, man. Wisdom beyond his any comprehension. Wisest man that's ever walked the face of the earth except for Jesus. And But then, what else do you know about him? He turned from God. He disobeyed God. Men, he had 700 wives. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and 300 concubines. Had a 1,000 women that he could choose from. He could have a woman day and night, every day for months and years and years. The world would say, dude, you are the man. You got it made. But you know what happened? Those wives 
worshiped pagan, false, idolatrous uh, idols and led Solomon right off away from God down the path of idolatry and pagan worship. Pagan idolatry worship in the family line of Jesus. You see some other names. I don't have time to look at all of them, obviously, but you see the name, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, Rehoboam, Jehoshaphat, Ahaz, Manasseh, all of them, Old Testament kings that turned away from God, did evil. Manasseh was one of the most evil men ever, one of the most evil, vicious, murderous kings ever. You know what this tells us? That everybody in that list has a story, and everybody in this room has got a story. So why would, you, why would this be in here? Other than to let the Jewish people know, see, Jesus came from this long line of Jewish people. Well, other than that, what is, why would this be in there? Because it tells us that Jesus Christ, who has come and who was born in Bethlehem, identified completely with the humanity and the brokenness of mankind, which means he identifies with you and me. And he identifies with the brokenness of our families. Because you look at his family, and there's it's broken. Now, he doesn't. He doesn't say it's okay for us to sin, and it's okay for us to. But listen, it doesn't matter what your family situation is. Jesus identifies with it. He understands it. He's been there. He's done that. He's gone through it. He understands what it's all about, and he is here to help you. No matter what your family situation is, no matter what it is. You might say, nobody understands. Let me tell you something, my friend. Jesus does. Jesus understands. Whatever it is, whatever brokenness you've got, Jesus understands. Hebrews 4.15, man, I love the way the message translation says Hebrews, uh, translates Hebrews 4.15. It says, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. Jesus has been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. That's Jesus. He understands. So whatever you're going through, whatever your family situation is, Jesus has been there. He understands it completely. And he is here right now to help you through it. So trust him. Bring it to him. Well, I've already brought it to him. Bring it to him again. <laughs> Bring it to him again and again and again and again. Let me tell you something. Jesus never grows tired of hearing from you. He never grows tired of you bringing that to him, that family situation that you're struggling with. He understands, and he is with us right now, no matter what your family situation is. He's with us. He's with us in that family situation. He's with us no matter what our fears are. No matter what our fears are. Look at Matthew 1, verse 18. Let's read. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Sidebar here, the very name Jesus literally means God saves. His name means that. Shauna, Wednesday night, heard the name of Jesus, heard the name Jesus 
gave her life because God saved her because of Jesus. His very name means God will save you. Keep going there. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he did not knew her, did not have any sexual relationships with her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You ever been so afraid that you can't even breathe? You can't function? You can't think? You're just frozen? You're just, you're just, so, you're just wrapped up, paralyzed by fear? And we don't see we don't see anything specifically in this passage that says that Joseph was afraid, but I just I don't know when I put myself in his position, he's probably in his late teens. Uh, you know, in that day and time, that was kind of the custom. They Mary, we know Mary was probably fourteen years old or so. Now I know in our day we go, well, that's the world. What is that? All? But that's just, that was just our custom. So just just be okay with that. That's just the way it was. So Joseph may have been in his late teens. We really don't know, but he just you know there had to be some fear. You know, the verse says there she was found to be with child. You know what that Greek word found means? It means to learn something previously not known. <laughs> he found, he learned something he previously didn't know, and that was that his fiance, his betrothed wife, was pregnant. How do you handle this? What's going on? How are we going to do this? The fear. And you know, it's those unknowns. It was the unknown. It's the unknowns that, that grab us, throw us into that place of, that place of fear, that paralyzing fear. You know, if you got kids and your kids are out of the house, maybe, or even if they're teenagers and they got their driver's license, stuff like that, and they're out and about and you're always worried about stuff like that. So the phone, your phone rings, you pick it up and look down, it's your kid's name. Your kid's calling you, your son or daughter's calling you. 99% of the time, that phone call is, hey, daddy, I need some money, right? And something like that. Hey, daddy, uh, what y'all doing? Can we come over and eat? Or so occasionally, can we all, y'all want to come eat with us? And uh, uh, kids want to see you. Can you come to a cheerleading competition? Can you come to a dance recital? Can you come to a, what, a ball game? Whatever it may be. And, and, you know, it's just those normal. But then there's that one. Maybe you've gotten that call. When the name pops up and it's your son or daughter telling you about something that you previously did not know that all of a sudden has thrown your life into a place of fear because of something that's happened or something that's going to happen or something that is coming and it's, and that fear invades our life. Something previously not known. So what do you do? How do you prepare? And then what do you do? We do what Joseph did, and that is you obey God and you step out in faith. Now, God's probably not going to speak to us in a dream. You know why? Because he doesn't have to. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't. And we pray a lot of times for unreached people groups, people that have never heard the name of Jesus, to, to have a dream about Jesus. And we've, there are multiple stories of missionaries that say that people have come to know Christ because they had a dream and a vision of Jesus who came to them. And so that does still happen. But the majority of the time, it doesn't. We, he doesn't speak to us in dreams because the dream that the angel gave to, uh, to Joseph was say was Jesus is coming. 
Well, Jesus is here, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is in us, and we have the Word of God before us, and we got our brothers and sisters in Christ around us to help us in those times of fear. So we step forward in faith. We obey God, and we step forward in faith. It's not easy. There's still fear involved, but we still have to step forward in faith and trust the Lord. Instead of being paralyzed and not being able to move because of the fear, we need to go ahead and take that first step of faith. The opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of fear is faith. So let's do like Joseph did, and let's know that Jesus is with us no matter what our fears are, no matter what you're wrapped up about right now. And some of you probably got some scary things going on in your life and things that may cause you to lose some sleep and things that cause you not to want to eat or things that cause you to kind of have health problems because of your anxiety and stuff. And I'm telling you, Jesus is with us no matter what our fears are. And finally, Jesus are with us. He's with us no matter what our, who our foes are. No matter what our family situation is, no matter what our fears are, and no matter who our foes are. Listen, y'all, look at chapter 2, verses 13 and following. Let's read that real quick. Just a few verses here. Chapter 2. The wise men have already come, and so look at verse 13. And when they, the wise men, when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord again appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child, take Jesus and his mother, flee to Egypt, remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph rose, took the child and his mother by night, and they departed to Egypt, remained there until the death of Herod. You think there wasn't some fear in that? You think there wasn't some scary moments in that? Man, we got to get out of town in the middle of the night because Herod wants to come kill our baby. And he remained there in Egypt until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to by the prophet Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt I call my son. See, there he's quoting Old Testament prophet. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled, again, Old Testament prophecy, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted because they are no more. Man, listen, Jesus was born in a violent, turbulent time. We can identify with that, can't we? And Herod, in Jesus' little corner of the world there, Herod was the one leading the way in the violence and the turbulence. And look at that. Look at what Herod wanted to do. Wanted to kill Jesus, and then when he couldn't get to Jesus, he killed all the baby boys. Listen to what one writer said about Joseph in the midst of this. Because Herod was an enemy. He was an enemy king. He was an enemy of God. He was an enemy of Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. He was an enemy. One writer said, Joseph parented Jesus in turbulent times. Perhaps our Christmases would be better if we remembered that innocence and responsiveness characterized the father that God chose to guide a family through, through danger, not just children cuddled up in safety. Joseph surely knew how violent Roman rulers could be. On the roads, he may have passed by agonizing crucified people who, like his family, were a threat to the regime. They didn't just crucify Jesus. They crucified people all the time. That was one of their preferred ways of killing people. 
to make an example for other people to see. Joseph and Mary could have been passed by some of those people getting crucified on their way to Bethlehem. They could have passed by some of those people getting crucified on their way out of town at midnight to get to Egypt. Just a reminder, they had a serious enemy named Herod. I want to tell you something, y'all. While we know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, 12, we know that. We need to realize that there are people in our world who hate us because they hate Jesus. And Jesus said that. It shouldn't surprise us. We don't need to be having a pity party about it. Because Jesus said in John 15, verses 18 and 19, he said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love you because you were one of them. But because you are not of the world and I chose you out of the world, the world, therefore, hates you. And the world hates us every week. Every week, somewhere in our world, somebody is martyred for their faith. There are more people getting killed. There are more martyrs in our day and time than ever has been in history. People are dying all the time. I subscribe to an email from a group called The Voice of the Martyrs. I get emails every week landing my email box. Pray for this person, this family whose husband was killed because he was preaching Jesus. Pray for this family whose home was burned down because they're Christians. Pray for this church. The church was burned down because of they because they're Christian church. Pray for this and this and this everywhere in our world kidnapped missionaries. Thank God we just found out that those missionaries in Haiti have been released this past week. All of them have been released, praise the Lord. But man, kidnapped missionaries happen all the time. Even in our own nation, the great nation, the United States of America, one nation under God, a supposedly Christian nation. In our nation, there are people, it is filled with people who hate us because of our love and commitment to Jesus Christ. In our own nation, they want to scare us. They want to silence us. They want to stop us and keep us from doing the work of the gospel. And some of these people are in positions of leadership and influence in the business world and in the entertainment world and in the financial world and in the governmental world. And they want to stop us because of Jesus they hate us. So face it, friends, we got enemies. We have enemies. But listen, so did Jesus. And he faced his enemies. He's been through it. He defeated his enemies. And he is with us to show us how to face our enemies. He's with us, no matter who our foes are. So how do we face our enemies? We face them with love. Jesus said, love your enemies. That ain't what the world says. World says, get even with them, take them out, wipe them out. That's why we don't do that, is because we don't belong to the world. We don't do things the way the world says do them. We love our enemies. We face our enemies with love. We face our enemies with truth. Every time Jesus responded to one of his enemies, whether it was a Pharisee or a Sadducee or whether it was even Satan in the wilderness, Jesus always responded with the truth of God and the truth of Scripture. So that, my friend, is why you and I need to know the Word of God. We face our enemies with love. We face our enemies with the truth. We face our enemies through prayer. You think about Jesus. He prayed for his disciples. John chapter 17 the high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed for his disciples and he prayed to the Father and he said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them 
Talking about his disciples, the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. But, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you protect them from the evil one. But Jesus prayed that his disciples would be strong in the face of the enemies, and we need to pray that same thing. And finally, we, we face them with love. We face them with the truth. We face them through prayer. And then, y'all, we face them knowing that we are already victorious. Amen. We're on the winning team. Paul said in Romans 8.37, he said, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Amen? That's you and me. So know that Jesus is with us. No matter who our foes are, no matter how hard they come against us, Jesus is with us. He is here. <laughs> Jesus is here. He's with us. Emmanuel. Y'all know my favorite name for Jesus, Emmanuel. Because that fills us with such hope, fills us with such peace, fills us with such strength and encouragement to know that God is with us. And He's here, and because He's with us, and because He's here, we now have the privilege to live for Him, to glorify Him with our lives. So what's going on in your life? Is there a family situation that you need to know, a fresh and a new, you need to know that Jesus is with you? He is. Is there some fear that's got you wrapped up, got you paralyzed, got you so distraught? Know today that Jesus is here and he's with you. Are you facing some enemies? I talk to people sometimes in our church. I talk to people who their work situation is difficult because they work for people whose worldviews are completely opposite to what the Word of God says. They have to face that all the time. Know that Jesus is with you in the midst of that. He's with us. So let's live for him. Let's glorify him with our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you help us now, Father, to hear from you and to respond in obedience as you speak to our hearts. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for coming into this world. Thank you that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Thank you so much for that. So I pray today, Lord, that as we think about that and as we rejoice in that today, Lord, that we will live our lives commit for the first time to live for Jesus, to, to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, or even today, as folks have done in other, earlier services, to rededicate our lives, to recommit our lives to the Lord Jesus to live for you. So help us today, Father. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.